Fourteen. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 241 of 40 Going On 14. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh, and I've seen The Exorcist about 167 times, and it keeps getting funnier every single time I see it. That is one of my most quoted lines from him. Yeah, I, I figured that that would that'd be the, the reach out for Michael Keaton's show. Oh, yeah. That's I'm awesome. Batman. Well, there's that, too. Oh, there's yeah. a whole bunch of them. He's got a bunch. Of, he's got some good lines. So yeah. So this week we are talking about Michael Keaton, uh, kind of doing a walkthrough on his career. Um, we're going to focus on some of the uh, shows that uh, the movies that he has made that we all have seen. Um, no TV stuff. Well, I mean a little bit of TV stuff. We got to talk about his first first show. And um, yeah. So it's all things Keaton. If you like. Sorry. Uh, sorry. Damn it. <laughs> Proceed. I'll catch the next one. No, I'm, I'm just going to Diane and Buster and all the Keaton, but yeah, oh, Stephen and Alex. Why do you have to turn into me? Ooh, that's Don't creepy. ever say that again. That's just rude. Why do you have to turn into me? Oh, if you want to turn into Josh or Joel or that <laughs> <laughs> shit. You even blew that one up. <laughs> oh, this I'm so is... glad we d- delayed the uh, <laughs> the role of. Plugging the podcast collective for all this comedy gold. We'll, we'll fix it in post. No, we won't. <laughs> all right. Listen to the shows of the podcast collective. <laughs> it's like shit shows. Such as On the Block, Dating Baggage, Mint and Boxcast, and of course, the Rad Dad Radio Hour. Red Dad! By the end of Joel's, at the end of the, Joel's guitar, he always sounds like a sick cat. Yeah, he just by by the end of it, he's just gonna start like lipping, lipping. Oh God damn it! I'm. I thought I'm I sounded like a, start, guys. I thought I sounded like one of the robots from Star Wars. Well, I think the role of Joel will be played by Patrick this week. <laughs> oh, this should get good. Yeah, speaking of getting good, if you're looking for our older stuff, <laughs> uh, you can find us on Blueberry, Stitcher, Talkshoe, uh, Podverse FM, NoonFM.com, and. Uh, Geek Life Radio, 12 noon on Saturdays. Give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. And we have a voicemail. No. We do. We do. It's from Karen. So. Karen. Hey, Karen. All right. Let's see what she has to say. Hey, guys. Listener Karen here. I uh, thoroughly enjoyed your spring episode. Gardening is one of my favorite hobbies. So from Memorial Day to Labor Day, I'm pretty much outside doing yard stuff. Uh, oh, I all my free time. Um, I am definitely looking forward to the Michael Keaton show. He was one of my favorite actors growing up. Um, some of my favorite movies of his, and I'm hoping you guys bring up, are Mr. Mom, uh, Beetlejuice, obviously, uh, despite the fact that he's only in it for a few minutes, and um, one of his newer roles in the movie Spotlight. He was really phenomenal in that film, um, and obviously Batman, because He's the best Batman there ever was, as if there was any question about that. Uh, however, I really, really disliked his movie, Birdman. Uh, I just couldn't get into it. I couldn't appreciate it. And I couldn't make it past the 45-minute mark. So I'm curious to hear what you guys think about it. As uh, I know it was a pretty highly acclaimed movie and a highly acclaimed role, and uh, I just didn't get it. But anyway, uh, you guys have a good show, and I'll be... We'll listen in to the Michael Keaton show in just a couple of days here, I hope. Alright, bye. Thank you, Karen. Yeah, that voice made me sad. Yeah, there's <laughs> gonna be words. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, I, I think all of us share a love of Michael Keaton in varying yeah. degrees. <laughs> it's a like yeah. for me. I have a strong like of Michael Keaton. Yeah. Okay. I don't well, go out of my way to see a movie because he's in it, but I certainly don't avoid one because he's in it. Yeah, he's not like Keanu Reeves or anything. I'll, I'd love watching Michael Keaton. Dude, you gotta let that go. Yeah, you do. You gotta let that go. You really do. Yeah. There's. I so, let it go. He stinks. Why would I want to watch him? <sighs> because you've only ever seen just like the the teaser trailer to Bill and Ted, and you took your entire <laughs> explanation of him off that. He's a he's a legitimate badass. He's a good dude. Good heart. I like him. I just don't like his acting. I, I was with you up until a couple of years ago. Dude's yeah. really stepped up his game. You got to see his more recent stuff. Agreed. And I never saw Bill and Ted's not because of Keanu. I developed my Keanu dislike after Speed. Like I said, I never saw Bill and Ted's because I just didn't have any desire to see it. I didn't. I didn't. I remember when I was younger, I was very much anti skater lifestyle, and uh, that that just to me screamed skater lifestyle. So I was like, nah. He was not skater lifestyle. They were garage it's, it's band. What it felt like to me, though, um, you know, yeah, I would right. probably like it to be honest with you. But you know, now it's just kind of a, I, I don't know. I just I got other things I'd rather watch instead of that. Don't let facts get in the way of Patrick's opinions. Exactly. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> All right, it's about that time. This week in music, movies, and TV. Sports. Sports. Answer sports. <laughs> what the hell was that? <laughs> All right. So uh, this date is September 5th, 1951, Michael Keaton's birthday. All right. So music. Uh, the number one song in the land was Come On My House by Rosemary Clooney. Come, Come on, on My, my house. house. Come On My House. Peter North Story. Probably. He could cover a house. Different, so, different podcast subject. Oh, right. Um, ELO's third violinist, Mick Kaminsky, was born September 2nd. Is that Mick or Mike? Mick. 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 Hang on. <laughs> known, known for his trademark blue violin. There you go. Like That's about all you need to know about Mick. <laughs> on September 4th, Martin Chambers, drummer of the Pretenders, was born. Three days later, Chrissy Hind, lead singer for the Pretenders, was born. Hind and Chambers are the only two surviving original founding members. Now, when you say huh. surviving, you mean alive or that are still part of the band? Both. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, some of the ex-members are still alive, but a lot of them are dead. And, you know, they're the only two that have been there from the beginning. Huh. Like Poltergeist, it's like a curse to be a part of the Pretenders? Yes. And a blessing, I suppose, for some people. Yeah, it's worked out all right for Chrissy Hind, I'd say. Mm, true. She was on Friends. So, last in music, born September 3rd, my date of birth, Linvey Roy Carter, better known as Prince Jasbo, was a Jamaican reggae and DJ producer. Uh, I was expecting to say born in there, but that's after the period. So, born and raised in Kingston, Jamaica, Carter began recording with Paxone Dodd's Studio One label in the early 1970s under the name Prince Jasbo, and also recorded for Glenn Brown and Lee Scratch Perry. That was a terrible reading that i did and i apologize should be ashamed well, we, of yourself we've gotten used to it eh. i just in, in, included him because prince jasbo is just a fun name that is jasbo. a great it's like an nes third level boss <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> well the secret is you gotta wait till he lifts his hand up to the turntable <laughs> <laughs> all right moving on to movies the top movies in the land were the river flying leathernecks and people will talk i don't know any of those movies yeah me either nothing i don't either 
I had, I mean, even even the actors, I didn't recognize their names, so don't bother looking them up. I don't think you're going to know them. Fair enough. We'll just move on to Maria Antonio Garcia Vildal de Santo Silas was a Dominican motion picture actress who gained fame and popularity in the 1940s as an exotic beauty, starring in costume adventure films. Her screen image was that of a hot-blooded Latin seductive seductress dressed in fanciful costumes and sparkling jewels and became known as the queen of technicolor over her career montez appeared in 26 films 21 of which were made in north america her first film was the invisible woman which was made for universal pictures starting at 150 dollars a week universal did not have a glamour girl like the other studios i.e hetty lamar betty grable or rita hayworth and they decided to groom maria montez to take that role after she left universal on September 7th of this week, the 39-year-old Montez died under controversy. The listed cause of death was that she suffered a heart attack and drowned while taking a bath. Whoa. Ooh. But but many people feel like that is not um, was not entirely innocent. She was absorbed while she was absorbing water. Dude. Just like that, man. Really? <laughs> All right. So TV, the number one show in the land, was the acronym of the week, which is AGTS. I'm pretty sure that was Al Green titty sucking. <laughs> <laughs> he, pu- he, he pushes him to the middle and he's like, let's stay together. <laughs> Give you some love and affection. Um, uh, <laughs> you were very close, but no, that is Arthur Godfrey's talent scouts. Holy cats. Uh, he was, he was, he was close. N- no, not at I, all. I, I, I'd be polite. Arthur Godfrey was a forward thinking man. <laughs> so, all right. So Arthur Godfrey and the uh, titty sucking was the number one show in the land, followed by I Love Lucy and the Red Skelton Show. I have seen two of those shows and enjoyed two of those shows. All right. So Mark Harmon, American actor known mostly for his stints on Saint Elsewhere and NCIS, was born on September second. And I realize sadly that I share a birthday with Mark Harmon. Yeah, huh. not so sad. I mean, he's. Could be not worse. Anything special, but he's definitely not like a you know Keanu Reeves or anything. <laughs> Could be Mark McGrath. <laughs> I always got summer school under the belt there. That's good. All right. So Thomas Stephen Wopat. Wopat um, is an American <laughs> actor and singer who was born September 9th. He first achieved fame as Lucas K. Luke Duke on The Dukes of Hazard. Since then, Wopat has worked regularly, most often on the stage, in supporting television movie roles. He was a semi-regular guest on the series Sybil and played U.S. Marshal Gil Tatum in Django Unchained. Wopat has also had a recurring role as Sheriff Jim Wilkins on the television series Longmire. Additionally, Wopat has recorded several albums of country songs and pop standards, scoring a series of moderately successful singles in the 80s and 90s. I enjoy the heck out of Longmire, and it's one of those shows that I binge-watched like the first season and a half and stopped for absolutely no reason. I I've gotta, never seen that. No, I'm just with Pat. I haven't seen it. I've heard good things about it, though. Yeah, it's, it's good. So, But um, you, you remember that role in Django Unchained after... Um, after uh, he shoots the one guy, and the guy all in black comes and has all the the guys surround the building and everything, and you know, and he's shot, and they're he's giving him the instructions through the doors. The guy all in black was uh, was Tom Opet. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I'll have to remember that when I watch it. Still haven't seen it. So, um, September third was a debut of the first long running soap opera, Search for Tomorrow. We've talked about that before. Yes, we have. Yep. 
I mean, it was I like think we what, talked about when it, when it got canceled. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah, it was like three, four decades. Ridiculous amount of episodes. Um, on September fourth, U.S. President Harry Truman addressed the opening of the Japanese Peace Treaty Conference in the first ever transcontinental TV broadcast. Ooh, that's a good little factoid there. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. I mean, you would think. I, I don't know why, but that blows my mind that it wasn't until the 51 that they was sent TV overseas. Well, I mean, they didn't really have satellites or anything before then, so... Yeah, so that's cool. Uh, Judith Lee Ivey, however, was an American actress and theater actor-director, was born on September 4th. Despite a long history of theater and film performances, Ivey is often associated with her one-year run as B.J. Poteet and, and Designing Women, replacing Julia Duffy, who had replaced Delta Burke. She also appeared, appeared on Will and Grace as the mother of Dr. Leo Marcus. Huh. Yeah. I honestly didn't realize that Designing Women went past Delta Burke. I didn't either. I've never really watched it. I've seen a, an episode here and there. My mom was a huge fan of that show. I used to watch it. I, I didn't watched. find it that funny, so I didn't watch it. I, like, I, like I said, I saw a couple episodes and was like, meh. It was okay. doesn't surprise me that you watch that. I want to be I surprised by it. I watched a lot of sitcoms when I was a kid. Like that was. Yeah, you think some of it would have rubbed off on you? I mean, I think designing women was for the crowd that thought the Golden Girls was just a little too wild for their taste, <laughs> a, little, a little too edgy. You know that Blair, whatever the hell her name is, Blair, Blair, <laughs> the facts of life, <laughs> Blue, oh, Blanche, Blanche. There you go. Dubois. Yeah, like uh, just anyway. Moving on to sports before I get lost in the Golden Girls. <laughs> Is Daniel, some, what? That's something that very few people have said. <laughs> Thank you for subscribing to Betty White Facts. <laughs> and it's David. Yeah, sorry. David Leslie Bairstow, born September 1st, was an English cricketer who played for Yorkshire and England as a wicketkeeper. <laughs> he was also a professional footballer for his hometown club, Bradford City. He played cricket for Yorkshire through his career. Oh, sorry, I lost my place. Uh, and captained the club from 1984 to 1986. Nicknamed Bluey on account of his red hair. <laughs> yeah, I don't get that, but whatever. Um, he, was in, he was influential for his aggression on the field and for his playing statistics. He was particularly well-loved by the Yorkshire crowds for his ability to turn rounded, round limited over games by his late order swinging of the bat. Yes. Okay. Yeah, this is, uh, this is all cut and paste, just FYI, so, uh, <laughs> as most cricket facts here are. In 459 first-class cricket matches, he scored 13,961 runs at an average of 26.44, with a highest score of 145. He snared 961 catches and 137 stumpings, and perhaps stands second only to Jimmy Binks in the annals of Yorkshire wicket-keeping. <laughs> wow. He played 429 one-day matches, scoring 5,439 runs at a 20.68 with one century. Bairstow played for 21 seasons and was a popular figure with the Yorkshire crowd. We have a new word, uh, stumpings. Stumpings! I, yeah, all these years talking about cricket, that's that's a new term. Yeah. And stumping a, your maiden. He had 137 stumpings. <laughs> <laughs> At least 137 stumpings and death rolls. Um, well, I got that beat. <laughs> and the last part of the tweet tonight, on September 5th, at the 65th U.S. Women's Tennis Open, Mo Connolly beat Shirley J. Fry, and at the 71st U.S. Men's Tennis Open, Frank A. Sedgman beat Elias Siaxis Jr. Good news, everybody. 
We made it through. Yes. <laughs> and the Rockets won the game. So, yay. I've looked up stumping, and I'm still confused. <laughs> <laughs> That's cricket for you. It's not just a clever name. It is the fifth most popular method of dismissal in cricket. Stumping? Does the b- action of stumping can only be performed by the wicketkeeper, and according to the laws of cricket, a batsman can be given out stumped if the wicketkeeper puts down the wicket while the batsman is out of his ground because he has moved down past the pitch beyond the pop increase, usually in an attempt to hit the ball and not attempting a run. What the hell is a pop increase? Right? <laughs> I think it's a breakfast food. I had a cherry pop increase for breakfast this morning. <laughs> it was delicious. <laughs> you get the pop increase that has a little frosting that you put on the top after you take it oh, out of the toaster. That's the more the I read, the more confused I get. There's honestly, I think it's I think it cricket is just Britain's one big joke to the rest of the world. Nobody knows what they're doing out there. They're guessing. They just don't want to own up to it. No, I think you're thinking of Australian rules football. Oh, that too. So. All right, well, take us out, keyboard Joel. No, 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 no. Okay, so this week, <laughs> after that astounding... I don't know what just happened. Yeah, that was confusing. So Michael Keaton uh, has been a actor and in you know kept showing up occasionally in our youth, was the first Batman that we saw that wasn't doing the Bat-Tusi, and... Um, just a very unusual uh, style of actor. I mean, his range on things that have gone from, you know, the comedy of Mr. Mom all the way to what the previously mentioned Birdman. Uh, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, he's he's done like the really, like it says here in your, what you've written or you had typed out here, you know, the slapstick stuff to the more thoughtful comedy. And then now he's really sticking to kind of dramatic roles primarily, but he can do it all. Yeah. Now, I had to toss this in here because this is kind of like the um, the bosom buddies for uh, Tom Hanks. Uh, he had a TV show he was on where he was a star playing opposite Jim Belushi about Ernie and Mike who are janitors attempting to work their way up in a Chicago office building that's owned by their uncle. This show was so good with these comedy legends, it lasted three weeks. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I've, I have seen all the episodes. Uh, we and when I worked at the video store, it was on the in the TV section, like tucked in the back corner that nobody ever went to. And you know, after Batman, I was like, "Holy cats!" And it, it was actually a pretty terrible show. I won't give them a hundred percent of the reason why it was terrible because I think a lot of the writing was awful. But just want to toss that in there that you know, Jim Belushi, Ernie and Mike, terrible show. There you go. I I just looked up screen caps from it, and just the screen caps make me not want to watch. It. Yeah, it looks it looks like uh, they were using old sets from Electric Company. <laughs> so, uh, so Tim Burton cast uh, Michael Keaton as the role of Batman in the 1989 version because he thought that he was the only actor who could believably portray who someone who has the kind of darkly obsessive personality that Bruce Wayne has. Uh, there's a great deal of fan anger over this selection because uh, I, I actually recall this was when I found out mm-hmm. that Michael Keaton everybody was like, wait a second, Mr. Mom is Batman? And the uh, studio forced to release an advanced trailer to show that Keaton could do the role well and the movie would not be like the 1966 uh, Batman. Yeah, there'd be no shark repellent spray. Yeah. <laughs> Some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. Exactly. Uh, um, Similar to the outrage that a lot of people had when Ben Affleck was cast as Batman. Or when, uh, um, 
Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. Never mind. All right. <laughs> I heard Val Kilmer when you said it. No, what? <laughs> I, I did, and I was going to say Ben Affleck, and I stopped, and I went, wait, he just said Ben Affleck. That's fantastic. We're oh, professionals, folks. Oh. Four years of doing that. Uh, so Michael Keaton's original name, real name, is actually Michael Douglas. So he decided to change his name when he became acting because there was uh, already a Michael Douglas and people kind of knew who he was. And uh, there was also a Michael Douglas in uh, broadcasting. So he uses a stage name as Michael Keaton, but has never legally changed his name to Michael Keaton. So something else. Kind of crazy pants there, right? Uh, He has appeared with Gina Davis in Beetlejuice and in Speechless. And had he accepted the role in The Fly, this would be their third film and the first that they would be making together. I just tossed that in there because he was considered to be Brundle in uh, the 1986 remake, which I think would have been a completely different movie. I didn't know that. Huh. What, that he was considered, or that his name was Michael Douglas? Well, that he turned it down. I know. No, I knew his name, but... Well, I mean, that was in 86, and he was doing Gung Ho and just had finished Johnny Dangerously, so I think it was kind of a... A w- more a stranger shift than he would have wanted to do at that time. Just a really hard left turn. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of makes sense when you look at what he was doing in that in that era. So um, as we traditionally do, we we'll start with uh, movies that uh, you know start from the beginning and work our way up. And we've this week, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of graze over the ones that maybe th- only you know two or three of us have seen. If it's not a higher level. You know, a higher uh, profile movie and really stick to the ones that the four of us have seen. So like the rabbit test, for some reason, Patrick has seen that and where Michael Keaton played sailor. <laughs> um, I don't remember him in that movie. So, so, okay. See, there you go. Uh, a different approach where he was a filmmaker night shift where he played Bill Blazowski. Uh Three of us have seen this. This is the one where I remember him having the uh, tape recorder where he records his ideas, yep. plays opposite the Fonz. It's it's such a funny good movie. It is. Shelley Long is in it as yeah. well. Oh yeah. A prostitute, which is really funny. I like it with him when he's when he's got that little recorder. He goes just to save on litter, edible paper. You write your stuff, <laughs> you Man- eat it. Mayonnaise packed with tuna. No, wait. We'll feed the mayonnaise to the tuna. <laughs> so. That's the one with um, Henry Winkler, right? Yep. yep. Yeah, I remember that. So that was 82. In 83, he made Mr. Mom, which I think was his biggest and his number one uh, uh, getting getting to know. You know, everyone finally knew who he was at that one, realized that he could be funny. Uh, again, yeah, he, was his first blockbuster. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he played opposite Terry Garr and Martin Mill and Martin Mull, sorry, and uh, and Jillian and Christopher Lloyd. Uh, it's, and, and Jeffrey Tambor. Yeah, that's right. He was in there, too. Um, he plays Jack Butler, whose wife uh, is taking over... It's a switch. He's staying home with the kids. Yeah, I actually watched this one this week, so if you want the plot point, I can definitely Which, do it. <laughs> at, yeah. at the time, in and of itself, was kind of unusual. And then you throw in the, the comedy angle of it. it. Like you said, it was kind of his breakout role, and it's probably one of the ones he gets pinned with the most when people say his name. It's, it's I, a, I mean, it's a fun movie, and it's a little bit dated, but I mean, for, you know, for a mid-'80s comedy, it holds up. Well, like I said, I, I watched it this week. I don't know if any of you did, but I, well, this—I always remember the scene with the vacuum cleaner. Yes. That, oh yeah, and the whoopee. Yo. My, my, no joke. My sister to this day still has her whoopee in a box somewhere. <laughs> she had I, one that she named it her whoopee after watching that movie and everything. You know. That's fantastic. Yeah. My my favorite line from the movie is when the uh, the boss comes over 
to him, you you want a beer? It's 10 in the morning. Scotch? Scotch? <laughs> <laughs> Using 220? Uh, 220, 221, whatever it takes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, you, give, it you feed your kid canned chili? <laughs> That's just so many. I mean, and that whole discussion with the Wooby where he starts off with the Wooby and then you make your way up to electric blankets. And, yeah, you're all strung out on, on comforters. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just, I mean, he, I think this is where he really cut his teeth on his delivery, because there is kind of like a Keaton-esque type of uh, speaking in these movies. Yeah, but he, he definitely developed a good cadence in this movie. Yeah. yeah. So after that, he moved on to Johnny Dangerously, which is another one that we've all seen. Played Johnny oh, yeah. Kelly. the hell out of that cadence. <laughs> oh. Like, Johnny Dangerously and Mr. Mom were staples of my childhood. Like, these were regular plays on the VCR. Oh, your yeah. last name is an adverb? <laughs> My mom put me on a hook once. <laughs> once. Once. You fargan ice holes. Oh, that's one of my favorite bits to still use to this day. Call somebody a fargan ice hole, you summon them, bitch. Well, and you know what's interesting about this movie is that if they made it today, I don't know that audiences would get it. No, I don't think they it's would. Not, it's not like a like an airplane or a hot shot. It's just like completely over the top. It's very A lot of its humor is really subtle. Yeah. It is. I mean, there's. I mean, the whole. The well, I mean, some of it's very not subtle. Like the whole no, video about yeah. the the blue balls video. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and but I mean, you look at just the Michael Keaton straight off of Mr. Mom steps in with Joe Piscopo, Mary Lou Henner, Maureen Stapleton, Peter Boyle, uh, Dom DeLuise, Richard Dimitri, Danny DeVito, Danny DeVito, uh, and it's it's. It's a goofy kind of mob, making fun of the mobsters type thing. And uh, personally, I, my, one of my favorite characters was Dom DeLuise as the Pope. <laughs> you know that that whole that whole thing. It's and Keaton oh, the, again. Oh, the, the priest, he's like, he missed the bus. She missed the bus. We all missed, missed the bus. bus. <laughs> what time's the next bus? <laughs> yeah, no, it's I I really enjoyed yeah, but, this one. But I know this telephone tree. <laughs> <laughs> well, and even though it's so over the top. They they all commit to it being that over the top that it never feels uh, chintzy. Yeah, it, it's it's genuine. Well, this is also the time when movie like these uh, ensemble movies were coming out. So you'd have like Dom DeLuise in this, and then you'd see him in a Cannonball Run, you know, a month later. So this type of this type of thing was really rolling at that time. Yeah, I, it, it was a staple of my youth as well, as well as Mr. Mom. They were two that were played quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And then keeping in with that everyman type of uh, comedy, he does Gung Ho in 1986. Another movie where he plays a car man, car dealer or a car factory manager. Yes. That's what he was in Mr. Mom. Yeah, that's right. It's almost like well, a sequel. <laughs> and talk about one that's a little dated. This one, uh, the, the themes of the movie kind of might go over people's heads a little bit these days. Um, yeah, the whole Japanese work ethic thing is not like a something that everybody strives. Even the Japanese don't do that anymore. Yeah, since people started dropping dead. Yeah, they realized that you know that the high rate of death and suicide was like okay, maybe we're pushing people a little too hard. <laughs> yeah, well, I think one of the things about this one is you know like the the Hadleyville auto plant shuts down and the to uh, Tokyo Michael Keaton goes to Tokyo to convince Asan Motors to reopen the plant and they agree upon it and then they send their workforce over to uh, mesh with um, mesh with the American workforce and it's at first they don't get along and then of course by the end of the movie they all get along yeah yeah I mean well, I think the biggest thing for Michael Keaton in this one is this was directed by Ron Howard 
So, I mean, that's one of those. And also written by Babalu Mandel. Babalu! Which is one of those names that you never seem to, you don't realize. It's goofy, but this is also the writer for City Slickers, Multiplicity, Splash. Uh, you know, he's wow. got a lot of stuff under his belt. Um, huh. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I see, I see his... I don't know that name at all, but that's a nice little... Yeah, nice little resume there. Oh no, I mean because he he Babalu Mandel. The reason I it sticks in my head every time I see, you know see it. He did also did the screenplay for uh, Spies Like Us. Uh, oh man, he wrote Night Shift, um, the screenplay for the movie Vibes, which is another one of my stupid, really hate to admit that I love it movies. If you're ever looking for something with uh, Cindy Lauper and uh, Jeff Goldblum, <laughs> there you go. There you go. First, que- first question: Why you're doing that? <laughs> Check it off their bucket list. Hey, you know me and weird movies. I mean, there's between Joel and I, we've seen a lot of weird shit. So, but yeah, so Gung Ho after this uh, skips along, touch and go, the squeeze, where Harold Harry Berg. I've seen this, but I do not remember anything about it. I was just looking up the premise, and I, there was a period where I was watching a lot of Michael Keaton stuff, and I know I saw it, but don't remember anything about it if that tells you i don't now. remember him in in the next one either she's having a baby i don't remember him in that uh that was the one with kevin bacon yeah right. i know i've seen the movie i just don't remember him in it no you know yeah. what kevin bacon played an advertising exec i wonder if there was like a scene with him filming a commercial or something like that it could be because this is like a high point of his career yeah so he must have just been a cameo probably but after the uh, 1988 also jumps into as beetlejuice which also was my introduction to tim burton Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, this was another just like huge movie. I think I saw this twice in the theater. Yep. In '88. Yeah, I went to go see it. Alec Baldwin, Gina Davis, Jeffrey Jones, Catherine O'Hara, very young Winona Ryder, uh, and that very was kind of fun watching that with the kids and being like, "Hey, you know who that is?" No, <laughs> it's Joyce. It's it's the mom from Stranger Things. Oh, um, just like uh. Like was said before, he doesn't get a lot of screen time in this, but when he does show up on the screen, he chews it to pieces. Well, and everybody remembers the character. I mean, you know, let alone that it went on to have its own cartoon and toys and all kinds of stuff. But, I mean, it's his movie, even though everybody else is in it. Mm-hmm. And he's so minor, he just steals it. Kind of like uh, Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight. You know, even though he's not in it a lot, he just runs away with it. Oh, yeah. I, I personally did not care for Beetlejuice. What? I did, I thought it would. I thought it was just too much. Like I, I mean, I'm not a huge Tim Burton fan. I like I like some of his stuff, you know. And and like you said, this is my introduction to him, and it kind of started my whole. I don't necessarily know if I like this director. Mm. I I can definitely agree with you there that Tim Burton is not a. He's he's hard to be middle of the road on. Right. You either get it or you don't, and I don't even know if there's much to get. Tim Burton has just got kind of a guy who just does his own thing. And what I liked about this one was this is the first, honestly, the first movie that I would watch and would be like that director. I like what he does. And then discovering that he did Pee Wee's big adventure before this. So, yeah. And that's the thing is a lot of the directors who have been around for this long reinvent themselves every decade or so, not Tim Burton for good (laughs) or ill. He's just been being Tim Burton. Yeah. And it hasn't been hurting him at all. But uh, but no, I mean this. I think this year, uh, I remember I was working as a uh, camp counselor that summer after Beetlejuice came out, and oh my God, every single kid was talking like Beetlejuice. 
<laughs> like I had a whole group of boys that I was like in charge of, and all of them were just like, and don't, and and they finally had to call the kibosh on it when one of the one of the kids literally kicked over. He put up a like a stuck a stick in the ground, did the right kick at it, and went nice fucking model, and did the Hong Kong when he grabbed. And I was like, all right, as entertaining as that was, we got to cut it short. We can't do this no more because I don't want parents yelling at me for anything else. So. But uh, after that, Beetlejuice, um, clean and sober. Talk about a hard left turn. I, I actually just watched this one for the show. Um, this was one of his first outings as a serious actor where people realized that he was more than just comedy. Yeah, this, this was one of his, you know, like like a lot of comedians have that one movie that, you know, kind of turns their career around and shows everybody, hey, I, I'm more than a comedian. Mm-hmm. He's re- he's really good in it. I mean, it's it's, you know just kind of a it's a very serious drama but he he proved that he had chops at a very early early period in his career my, my, my father used to always say the comedians made the best actors because anybody can make somebody laugh but you know or, or he said anybody can make somebody cry but it's always harder to make them laugh and if you can make them laugh you can easily make them cry yeah the only reason i didn't mark that i'd seen this because i know i have is that i don't remember it very well mm. I, I remember it was good and that's about it. This and 28 Days Sober both came out, I think, the same time. One with Sandra Bullock. Hmm. Hmm. What? 28 Days? Something like, yeah, yeah. I don't remember what it was. That was in the late 90s. Was it? Yeah. There was another movie, because I remember this came out at the same time as another movie with somebody talking about them being a recovering alcoholic. Was the one with uh, Bill Murray? 28 Days was 2000. Okay. Huh. Anyway, nope. not anyway. important to the, to the topic. Yeah. Moving on. Oh, I love this movie. Dream Team, William Billy Caulfield. One That's of my a, favorite. a movie about yeah about four guys from a mental five guys I think from a mental institution that go on a on a day field trip to a baseball game in Chicago and they lose their uh, their team leader the one guy that works for the for the facility and they're left on their own to fend for themselves and get back. One and, of my all time favorite lines in a movie is from this film when they're all sitting around and he's like, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" And he says, "I want to be a fire truck." Oh, oh yeah. crap! This is the time in the show where Josh goes. I have seen this. <laughs> yep. Michael Keaton, Christopher Lloyd, Peter Boyle, and Stephen First. That's all you need to know. I mean, yeah. And th- this is Josh. Remember, this is the scene where the, all of them. There, it's raining, and they get the giant cardboard box and are running around with the cardboard box. Yep. I think somehow in my mind, the dream team folded in with One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and I forgot that they were two different movies. Ooh, that's a weird fold. How? 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 I I think I have this weird image of there being a wacky baseball game scene in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. There is. Okay, that's, that's probably where it is, and I like expanded from that baseball game scene into the rest of the dream team also somehow being a part of that movie. Cause McMurphy gets the, the TV TV privileges taken away and he wants to watch the big game. Okay. Yeah. That's exactly why I confused them. He, he pretends to watch it and the rest of the, the people it's all in the, stirred up and yeah, they all start believing that it's really there or playing along and it becomes a big thing. Yeah. That was the moment when nurse ratchet decided I'm going to take you down. <laughs> Yeah, there's no no chief in the dream team that kills Michael Keaton at the end. Yeah, I could see that. Spoiler. Well, you know, you got Christopher Lloyd in both of them. I think that's where the crossover happened. True. 
So, but yeah, this is the, this is the one that had this thing where they're on that giant car. Uh, it's actually took place in New York. So they have this giant cardboard box, like a, like a refrigerator box they dig up and they're running around trying to keep out of the rain by in this cardboard box, marching almost like, you know, like a horse costume type thing. And in one of the interviews I saw with Michael Keaton, he's like, yeah, they, we did that scene and they just kind of like parked the truck at the end of the block and filmed us running around in this cardboard box. And he said, the thing about New Yorkers is that not one person questioned what was going on. <laughs> you know, nobody nobody even gave them a second glance. They're just like, all right, four guys in a box. This is how Tuesday goes, you know? It's, That's what I ordered. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, great, great movie. I mean, the four of them are just fantastic. Uh, and then another weird turn, 1989 Dream Team. And then later on you get... Batman. Uh, yeah, I mean, we spent a whole half an episode talking about this. As much as I like it, yeah, this is well-trod ground for forty going on fourteen. Yep. <laughs> yeah, was there at the opening night. Saw it, you know, first opening night movie I ever saw. Was amazed by it. He personally, I think he was a fantastic Bruce Wayne. Go check out Bat Month if you want to know what we think of this. Yeah, that was a mere mm-hmm. two years ago. <laughs> wow. Right. Uh, 1990, Carter Haynes, James Danforth in Pacific Heights. Uh, this is the first time he plays a cop, I believe. This is the first time he plays someone creepy as shit. Oh, okay. Then yeah, I'm, I'm this is yeah. Uh, Melanie Griffith, Matthew Modine, and Michael Keaton. Yeah, he play he plays the 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 um oh the squatter. That's yeah, it. yeah, and he's living upstairs from the two of them. They can move into the apartment building. I can't remember if I saw this or not. Like, I remember the movie existing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, Do you remember the cockroach scene? Yeah, that's, what I was that's exactly say. what I was thinking You've of. You've seen it if you remember that. I don't remember that. So, so you haven't seen it. Michael Keaton sitting in a dark room watching television and just literally letting these, like, two and a half, three inch long cockroaches walk all over his body. It, it, yeah, because he, he imported, like, hundreds of Madagascar hitting cock, hissing cockroaches just to flood the house that he was squatting in in a fight with the owners. And yeah, there's one creepy scene where he's just sitting there motionless and they're all just crawling all over. Him. Yeah. And he's got like yeah. one on his hand and he's just watching it walk between his fingers. And it's so, because you've got Mr. Mom, you've got the dream team, you've got Batman, you know, Batman, he's a little weird, but he's Batman. And then you've got this and you're like, that's real Hannibal Lecter-ish. Yeah. He's very, very creepy. Yeah. I mean, and again, it's another one of those, it's almost like Clean and Sober, where he takes this turn. It's like he has a, a series of movies where he goes back to what he's known for and then takes a right-hand turn. So, like, well, you he know. refuses to be pigeonholed. Exactly. And it's good, you know, good. I mean, the guy can do it. I mean, if you've seen Pacific Heights, you know he can pull, I mean, Clean and Sober, he can do the drama. He's Pacific- like a John C. Riley, kind of. Oh, I love John C. Riley. Or a, or a, a um, oh, what's his name? Jeff Daniels. Oh yeah, I could. Yeah, uh, Jeff Daniels also. Okay, about Jeff Daniels. Uh, one good cop. Nobody's seen that on this. I group. swear I've seen it, but uh, I don't. Yeah, I, I was not gonna watch talk it. about it. Batman yeah. Returns. We've seen the, all seen this. Batman. Batman. Uh, we all love it. Bat- Bruce Wayne Batman. He's fantastic. Much Ado About Nothing, where he plays Dogberry. I was gonna say at least three, maybe all four of us saw this together. Oh, Patrick. Have, this was one I may have seen. I, w- I didn't want to check it because I wasn't hundred percent. Because I know we watched this one at the insistence of Gabby back in college. Okay. And all of us sat around uh, kind of uh, neutral on it. And then uh, he is one for such a minor role. He's so good in this. 
Yeah. Uh, we were quoting him, ooh, a fancy lad, for years after this. Ooh, and that means Patrick has seen, oh, maybe Patrick hasn't seen it, but this is actually a Keanu Reeves movie also. <gasps> it is. <gasps> True, I forgot about that. In fact, I remember this is one of the movies where I was like, I liked Keanu, because I used to feel the same way that Patrick did, but this was the movie that actually turned me on Keanu. I was like, holy crap, he was great in that, because he barely talked. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you need to go watch Bram Stoker's Dracula. It'll turn you off on him again. Whoa. But no. Uh, <laughs> this is this is another one of those where it's he's really good in this, but it's another one of those where it's like you you're like Mr. Mom, what are you doing? Well, and he's a blink and you miss it. Yeah, like he's the leader of Much Ado About Nothing's The Mechanicals. They're this weird little troop of highwaymen who are the goofy comic relief. Yep, uh, definitely. If you can, if you do have a chance to see it or see it somewhere. Do see it. Yes. Um, is Just don't expect th- to see a lot of Michael Keaton. Yeah. It's worth seeing. Yeah. Right. And and, and um, is this the first Kenneth Branagh uh, Shakespeare that he did? Um, you know, I don't know if it was his first one, but it was the first one of his that I'd seen. Okay. Yeah, I think that I think that was that was with all of us is that we saw this all together. I mean, with the love of Shakespeare that the four of us have. Uh, later on. Robert Bob Jones in my life. Only a couple of us have seen that. The paper. If you want to. Uh, if you want to um, fall into a deep depression, watch yeah. this movie. Yeah. This movie, I yeah, I I will probably never watch this movie again. It is a great movie, but god damn, is it sad. He he plays a guy who's terminally ill with cancer, and he decides that he's going to videotape his life um, in his own words to pass on to his unborn child. Oh Jesus! Yeah, it's fucking intense. Yeah, it's really really depressing. Well, I got it's one good. for the weekend. <laughs> right, you should watch this if you want to shoot yourself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, 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 that's one reason I won't watch it again. That that and Fifty Fifty, I will never watch those movies again because no, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> that's why. But it's good. It's something you it's should very, see at it's least very once. good. But I can't watch it again. Like the Grave of the Fireflies type of things. I still haven't seen that one, but yeah, yeah. See well, it no, one. different. You know, I mean, yeah. for different reasons from what I've heard about Grave. Okay. Uh, so after this, 1994, The Paper, he plays Henry Hackett, the editor of a uh, local uh, uh, newspaper. Um, I've seen this. It really is good. A lot of it because of the uh, the cast. Uh, yeah. Mike, Michael Keaton is the editor. Glenn Close, Marisa Tomei, Randy Quaid, and Robert Duvall. Uh, with music by Randy Newman. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, again, another one. It's it's kind of unseen, but Ron Howard and Michael Keaton have done a lot of movies together. So you've got this. You've got um, I just lost it. The dream, not Dream Team, Gung Ho and Night Shift. We're all Ron Howard. Junior Tom Hanks. Yes. You've got a paper in me. Ew. So after that, have a paper in me. Uh, Speechless, directed by Ron Underwood, produced by Gina Davis, starring Michael Keaton and Gina Davis. Yep, they're political speechwriters that are uh, working for different candidates. They're on opposing sides, and they fall in love. It's a it's a romantic oh. comedy. It's it's good. So he takes. So there we go from my life, the paper, speechless to multiplicity. Hey Steve, you want a pizza? <laughs> God, I love you know this how when you make a copy of a copy, it comes out kind of blurry? <laughs> yeah, I wanted to get to see this because I, I should have seen this by now. I was going to try and see this the last couple of days and just couldn't get around to it. Yeah. This, this is a movie about a guy who uh, discovers he can cl- a way to clone himself, and he starts cloning himself 
just so he can get some time to himself. And it kind of, you know, he ends up having like eight of them running around the house. And it's just really, it's really funny. And Michael Keaton plays all of the clones, yeah. of course. Yeah. Well, and Andy McDowell and directed by Harold Ramis. Yeah. It, it's, it's one of those kind of Saturday afternoon, guilty pleasure kind of things. It's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, maybe you should, you should watch it at least once. Yeah. Maybe I'll pick this up yeah. instead of my life for the weekend. <laughs> Probably a good idea. So uh, after this, he does Inventing the Abbots. It's another uh, life Minor slice character. of life. Well, he's the uh, narrator. He plays. Oh. He's one of the. He's one of the. Uh, That's why I don't remember. Yeah, the kids talking. Uh, he's narrating his life type of thing. Um, and then Jackie Brown, which <sighs> did one of us not get a chance to see this when we did the uh, Tarantino show? Introduces us to. Oh, somehow I didn't mark my own favorite Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, I was, film. I, I was trying to figure out. I was like, that, that doesn't make any sense. I, I, I thought it was someone else who hadn't marked it. No, yeah, this. Yeah, all of us have seen this. I, I love it. Yeah. yeah, we talked about it in the Tarantino show. Tarantino show. show. Yes. Um, I'm surprised the oh. next one nobody else has seen. I. Well, let's talk about it and we'll see. <laughs> you know what? I actually. I have seen this. I think I may have seen it, but I don't remember it at all. So, Andy Garcia. Oh, Sandy, yeah. Uh, San Francisco police officer Frank Connor is a search for compatible bone mm-hmm. marrow for his son, Matt, who has leukemia. In desperation, he find, breaks into FBI headquarters and finds a perfect match. Unfortunately, it's Peter McCabe, Michael Keaton, who's a sociopath serving a life prison sentence for several murders. So they break him out. During his time in prison, the brutal cunning McCabe has attempted to escape and killed several guards and fellow prisoners and must be kept, kept in multiple restraints when out of his isolation cell. Hmm. I, have, I, I have seen this. I have, again, do I, I, I've seen this, and I probably want to see it again because... He's awesome. Michael Keaton has such a dark side when he turns it on. Mm-hmm. I, I used to own this on VHS um, back in the day. I think I have it on DVD, too, but... I've seen this one several times, and Michael Keaton just is spot on, creepy, dark. The sociopath is the perfect way to describe his character. Fantastic! I, maybe this one for the weekend too. Michael Keaton all weekend again. Huh. Uh, this next one, I'm surprised you guys, uh, Pat and Mike, you haven't gotten around to see it. Out of sight, he reprises his role from Jackie Brown, playing the exact same character. Huh. Is Ray this the one with Clooney and uh, yep. Jennifer Lopez? Yes. Yeah, I've seen this. All right. Yeah, I, I like it. I love this movie. Have love not it. seen it. Love, love, love it. Like, if you like Jackie Brown and kind of want a little bit more of the same, only not quite as good, like, this is worth watching. Oh. I thought it was good. I didn't think it was great. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I've seen it two or three times, but mostly because it is another Elmore Leonard joint and i just like all of the crime stuff he writes i could dig it on that on that i could watch this so it is the case for jennifer lopez as an actress fantastic i would agree with that all right and then again michael keaton takes another right shot in his career and does jack frost kids movie where he turns into a talking snowman yeah i saw this believe it or not in the theater I was going to say, uh, not to be confused with Jack Frost, where he comes back as a murderous snowman. Snowman. Yeah. I've, I've seen bits and pieces of this, but I've never seen the whole thing because I've never really cared to. It's it's cute. It's harmless fun for the kids. It's a little dark as far as you know him being a talking snowman, but 
it's okay. Like I said, I saw it in the theater because I think I saw it with um, Lucas when he was little still. Huh. 20% on Rotten Tomatoes. So. Yeah, I don't need to see it again, but I did see it. <laughs> Holy cats. Roger Ebert gave this film one out of four stars, writing, It's possible for the Jim Henson folks at Industrial Light and Magic to put their heads <laughs> together and come up with the most repulsive single creature in the history of special effects. And I'm not forgetting the Chucky doll or the desert intestine from Star Wars. Wow. And rest so, his soul. Yeah, so uh yeah, so that wasn't exactly a well received movie. <laughs> and then to close out the decade he does body shots. Which he's barely in. Yeah. Looks no, like another just a break. coming of age movie type of thing. So. Yeah, it's like a terror read Jerry O'Connell flick. Yeah. Yeah, we don't care. We none of us have seen it. Yeah. Right. Moving on. Uh so yeah, so when we get back um, we're going to look at Michael Keaton in 2000 past uh, and with the strange right turns that he's done with his career, uh, there has been some recent, I don't say reinvention of it, but I think we're going to have some discussion about a certain uh, feathered character later on in the in the movie. Maybe two. Hmm. All right. We'll be back in a bit. All right, so Michael Keaton, come back, and he is uh, in a movie post-2000, 2002, A Shot at Glory. Yeah, looking at these new films of his, I, I realized that I haven't watched a whole lot of his newer stuff. I was surprised. And he's done a lot of, I mean, it's it's gone beyond the his old-school Mr. Mom and gung-ho type stuff. I mean, it's, he's not really going back to the comedy type stuff that we remember him for. He's staying a lot of these dramatic roles. Yeah, there's just a spot here and there where he does something comedic, but for the most part, he's straight drama. Or or some, or, like, action flick kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. This one was... This movie's a soccer movie. Robert Duvall uh, is a club coach of... Uh, which... I don't even know. Scottish footballer, player, commercial. Uh, da, 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 I don't even know. It's about Scottish. Well, the next one, none of a us movie about Scottish football. football. Moving on. Uh, <laughs> Quicksand. He plays Martin Rakes. Which we yeah. should have seen this because the sexy Michael Caine is in it. Yeah, Michael Indeed. Caine and Michael Keaton. Uh, crime thriller released in Germany, Finland, Sweden, and Norway in 2003. Uh, didn't get to us till 2004. Uh, Martin Reeks is an American bank investigator sent to Monaco to check up on the suspicious financial dealings of a movie production. After the business trip, Martin, who is divorced, flies to London to visit his daughter, and then there's crime. So, the Michael Keaton, Michael Caine, and then all the other names in this movie, I have no idea. Judith Goodacre is the only one I know because she was, is or was married to Harry Connick Jr. Elena Lowenshon, you know, so, got those. Oh, yeah. Yes, him. So... Uh, first daughter. This one kind of weird. Directed by Forrest Whitaker, starring Katie Holmes as the daughter of the president, who is yeah, and he plays the president. He plays the president. So quirky family fun there. This one, three of you have seen, and I really, really, really need to see this movie. I yeah, I just added my initials because I forgot I'd seen this one, and I actually really like this one. White Noise, 2005 supernatural horror film, directed by Jeffrey Sachs. It's all about the um, theory that when you put your put your TV or whatever your radio or anything on like just all static, that eventually something 
otherworldly can break through. Huh. Yeah, yeah. EVP. It's one of yep. the more controversial ways of determine of like detecting supernatural phenomenon and like white noise was one of the first times it like broke out into common people knowing what it was like if you're not like deep into that world it was a pretty creepy movie too it mm-hmm. starts out strong but it ends the ending the like the, yeah, last, the ending was awful the I, don't even, I would agree yeah i don't even remember what it was i just remember hating the ending uh, uh, i blocked it out of my brain and that's the problem is, is I was so excited. I'm like, Michael Keaton doing a horror movie. I'm like, yes. And it started out, I was like, wow, this is really good. And then at the end, I was like, wow, what the hell just happened? It just, it suffered from early 2000 Hollywood horror problems. Yeah. They, I mean, they just had no idea. They, they built up so much so well that it was almost like the kind of the lost thing where they just, there was nowhere they could go with any of it that would make any sense. <laughs> I think if I remember right, what happened at the end is there was some really bad CGI monstery type stuff happening, and they mm. made a sequel, by the way. Oh, I was excited about that until now. I mean, like I said, you know, the, the first half is really good. Yeah, I honestly think the first half is good enough to like. I didn't think the ru- ending ruined it for me. I didn't like the ending, but I don't think it wrecked it. Okay, it's still worth watching for sure. And the sequel has Nathan Fillion. Oh, nice. So uh, later on this year, he voices Porco Rosso, which... Yeah, the rare Studio Ghibli flick that I have not seen. Yeah, a Studio Ghibli film about a talking pig that is a bounty hunter and ex-World War I ace pilot, for all of you that were asking for that. Odd combination. I've heard it's really good. It is on my list of, you know, it's that same list that Josh has. You know, Ghibli movies I haven't seen because you really don't... It doesn't pop out because you've got a lot of Princess Mononoke and that sort of thing. Then you're like, hey, flying pig. Ah. <laughs> uh, after this, Herbie, fully re- fully loaded, um, plays Herbie the dad, plays uh, Lindsay Lohan's dad. Yeah, I mean, I watched most or all of this on TV. I don't remember it very well. Okay. Well, I mean, it's a Herbie remake, Lindsay Lohan. Yep. Hey, after this, game six. Uh... Joel has seen this, and I'm not surprised because it involves theater. Michael Keaton, Griffin Dunn, Catherine O'Hara, and Robert Downey Jr. Uh, it is a uh, play. It's a movie about a play that is has opening night the same night of the 1986 World Series. Yeah, he skips the opening night of his show because he's a playwright to go watch the game. It's good. I mean, it's it's something you don't need to watch repeatedly, but I mean, it's it's a solid kind of comedy drama. Sounds like some sounds like something right up Joel's alley. Yeah, it seems like something that if I were forced to watch it in film class, I'd go, okay, that was better than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. And that's that's an accurate way of describing it. It's it's not something anybody's going to want to watch repeatedly, but it's definitely worth watching at least once, just for the cast alone. Right. So after that, he did a voice in Cars, where he plays uh, Chick Hicks. Kachiga. Yeah. Uh, and after that, I guess, well, anybody with kids, Joel and I have both seen that. And it's fantastic. I that was one of Isaiah's favorite films as a child, and he would watch it over and over and over. And the the biggest redeeming factor of this movie was Michael Keaton. <laughs> I, I, it's a fun movie, but whenever he was on, I always got a big smile on my face. Right. I've never seen any of the Cars movies. Nah, you, not intentionally. Just just never have. You can probably get away with not not doing it. So. Uh, after 2007, the last time he was also the executive producer of this, he plays Ted Riker. Uh, if you were looking for a Wall Street movie starring Michael Keaton and Brendan Fraser, here's where we've got that for you. 
Oh, why haven't I seen this then? Yeah, it it looks it looks good. Um, just one of those that I never really knew about. I mean, that's and it seems like a lot of his stuff post two thousand flew under the radar. I just looked this up. Wow. Yeah. Why? I need to see this. Oh. Yeah. And after that, two thousand seven. Merry Gentleman, where he plays Franklin Frank Logan. He also directed this one. Uh, first directorial debut. Yeah. It is uh, starring Keaton and Kelly McDonald about a woman who leaves an abusive relationship to start a new life in Chicago, where she forms a friendship with a hitman. A suicidal hitman. Is there any other kind? Maybe. This is a wacky hitman. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Forgot about that guy. So, yeah. Uh, this was on my list to watch this week, and I just didn't get around to it. It's actually streaming on Amazon Prime right now. Oh, cool. Hmm. It's the only one of his movies outside of Mr. Mom, I think, that's streaming right now. Nice. We do tend to pick the right time to do these actor movies, don't we? <laughs> it's like, I thought Blindsided was. I just that's on Netflix. Yeah. yeah. Blindsided was. I started, I didn't, I wasn't able to get through that one. But, I mean, not because it was bad, just because I ran out of time. We'll uh, so, after, also, 2009, Postgrad, where he plays Walter, Alexis Bledel, uh, is in this, along with Zach Guilford. Carol Burnett? I thought Carol Burnett was dead. Mm-mm. Oh. You're not dead. All right. So uh, two, no, 2009 American Independent Romantic Comedy about a recent college graduate who's back in with her family where she figures out what to do next. It was on my list. I had it. I couldn't find a copy eh. anywhere to watch, but I wanted to see it. It looked cute. So Toy Story 3. He does the voice of Ken. As in Barbie and Ken. Yes. <laughs> I think I might have seen about half of this. I don't think I've ever seen it beginning to end. Oh, he's, you need to. He's I've really seen the original funny. Toy Story, but I've never seen... Toy Story 3 is... It, it, Joel, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. it's. But also, Ken is fantastically played by Michael Keaton in this one, because Ken is a very dark character in this. Yes. Believe it or not. That's very accurate. Yeah, Ken. Ken's he, he almost kind of goes back to the uh, the guy from Pacific Heights in this. As a between Ken. him and uh, Ned Beatty, who plays lots of is it isn't that who plays lots of love the bear? Yeah. Between those two, I mean, yeah. this is probably the darkest of all the Toy Story movies, if you can huh. have such a thing. Well, and for all the sadness and depression and and really. Uh, kind of deep messages in it. It ends on a on a high note still. Yeah, it's really good. It's still a, it's still a Pixar movie by the end of it. So, uh, the other guys, Captain Gene Mouch. Um, I'm so upset. I've never seen this. You should oh. be. You should definitely see this. I own this one. It's so good. It it's got every. It has uh, the only thing this is missing is sexy Michael Caine. Yep. This is almost the perfect uh, forty going on fourteen movie. You got Will Ferrell, Mark Wahlberg, you got The Rock, you've got Samuel Jackson, narrated I've by Ice T. <laughs> I've seen their big scene, quote unquote. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Out of context. And uh, just, you know, and Michael Keaton plays the uh the captain. Plays the captain of the, you know, and he's also and like there's a whole subplot of him having a second job working at Bed Bath and Beyond. <laughs> yes. It's <laughs> <is> so funny. <laughs> and he's doing his, his detective job out of Bed Bath and Beyond to come in and talking to him and he's And every every time he has a pre-staff meeting at Bed Bath and Beyond, he treats it like a, a one of the staff meetings at, at at the precinct and oh it's just so funny. It's Yeah. And and, and it's I watched this and was really happy afterwards cuz I mean I was like Awesome. Michael Keaton can still be funny. And he is. 
I mean, he's he definitely shows that he has not lost his chops for making people laugh, and he's way up there along with Will Ferrell on the on the amount of laughs. He just says that. But are are you are you quoting what band is he quoting? <laughs> I don't I don't want to say too much because Josh hasn't seen it. <laughs> don't be chasing waterfalls, guys. What? <laughs> Nobody says that. I forgot about the TLC thing. <laughs> uh, then 2011, he does Ken's Hawaiian Vacation. He does a voice again, goes back to that, and then strangely does Noah's Ark: The New Beginning. Okay. Yeah, I don't even remember that. Yeah. Uh, blindsided. 2014, he is in this one a uh, thriller about um, a blind woman being uh, terrorized in her own apartment by two uh, uh, thieves. Hooligans? Yeah. Michelle Moynihan plays the blind woman. She was a war photographer, and uh, um, her boyfriend stole a bunch of diamonds from these two bad guys, and Michael Keaton plays the, the head bad guy, and they break into her home and are trying to figure out where the diamonds are. It's, it's really just the three of them for the entire movie. Um, it, it was decent. I, I don't know that I need to see it again, but uh, he does a good job as usual. Okay. And then uh, we, all of us for the Robocop show saw him in Robocop where he plays again. He plays a good bad guy. Yeah, he does. And that's, and that's the thing I like about him is that you've got this, you know where he's he's in uh, the other guys where he's playing captain the other guys and then he can easily just a couple years later flip it over and be super evil. Uh, again, we were talking about his range, just yeah, good stuff all around. Uh, so Aaron Paul's movie Need for Speed. So yeah, he was Monarch in that. Nobody's seen that. We're not really much into car movies, are we? No. Yeah. Oh boy, here we go. All right. So and then coming up. Birdman or the unexpected virtue of ignorance. So all of us have seen this, won a gazillion awards for for this, and uh, nominated for another gazillion others. Yep, including uh, an Academy Award yeah, for, for best actor. For best actor. Um, this is a movie about it. It's almost it's almost like too identical to him, where he plays a superhero in the early '90s. And it's coming to terms of trying to get back to his previous uh, glory. Yeah, I mean... He's afraid of, of being irrelevant and forgotten. And decides he wants to be taken seriously as a serious stage actor and producer. And it gets into these questions of how much do we make our artists suffer to say that they've created good art? Like, what what role does the audience have in the pain these people put themselves through and it, it takes it to this ridiculous height. But, uh, this, this movie shook me a little bit. Now, see, I'm in the same camp as you, where it was one of those where I, you and I actually had a conversation offline after I'd finished watching it. My focus on this one was less on the actors and artists of the creation, creating things as it was a man who is in the end, I would say end of his life, but, seeing the twilight coming up and realizing that he may not have lived his life the way he should have. And is trying to reconcile with his daughter and reconcile with his ex-wife and come to terms with the fact that he's just not relevant anymore. And can we just uh, mention um, uh, Edward Norton's role in this film as well? Because he was spot on. Oh, oh yeah. Everybody For was. Such a horrible, horrible person. Yeah, even... He, 
Well, I, I was kind of put off by the idea of Zach Galifianakis being in this, but even he was... Killed it! Yes. He was the right casting choice for that. Role. Like, you can't tell where best friend begins and enabler ends. Right. And I saw it, I definitely saw it more from Mike's perspective on it when I saw it. And the fact that it, it plays itself off like one continuous shot. Um, that was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, the, the cinematography and the, and the editing was really, really good. Like that whole, the whole, the whole way that they filmed it, you know, like to look like one big shot was very impressive. Wait, do we all like this? I didn't like it that much. No. Okay. I, 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 I appreciated it and I thought it was a good looking movie and the performances were good. But I, you know, I didn't really get get behind it too much. I just, I don't know. It just kind of, it was one of those movies. I was like, it felt like it was too into itself. Uh, which is kind of where I thought you might fall with it. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I was thinking that we might be, because I'm a huge fan of this film. And I was thinking there was going to be one of us that just absolutely hated it. And that, that's the thing is I didn't hate it. I mean, I, I anybody I've ever seen talk about this, it seems like they either love it or hate it. And there's no in between. And I actually... I find myself in between. I didn't. I didn't hate it, and I didn't love it. It was just kind of, you know, I don't know. I mean, it was it was stylistically very impressive and performance-wise very impressive. But other than that, I, and, I didn't. It didn't connect with me. And what's interesting is I love it despite the fact that I disagree with one of its core statements, which is that the modern superhero movement are vapid, mindless entertainment for the masses. Like I love the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I completely reject that part of its core premise, I mean, it, but I still main, love the movie. The main person pushing that narrative was the critic who was obviously, you know, the villain anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, it wasn't just, it was also Riggin Thompson. Cause like he got to the point where he was asking about, uh, a Hawkeye. He's like, Oh, they got him too. The guy from yeah. the hurt locker. Really? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, there, there's, there's probably a little bit of truth in, in, in the Hollywood viewpoint of that is like if you're not one of the people that's been chosen there's probably some bitterness i could see that nice i was reading up a little bit on this and um in Inaratu, that i pronounce the director's name yeah uh apparently he wanted keaton for this role and when keaton the first thing that apparently keaton said to him when he got the got to the uh the first meeting was like are, are you making fun of me in this movie and he was like no 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 this is this is what it is you know and after then he got a little bit more information about it you know because initially you're like hey i'm looking for somebody who's a washed up uh actor who played a superhero in the 90s and they let's call michael keaton and i'm sure he must have been like awesome thank you very much guys here <laughs> Which, i am regardless how you feel about the film itself michael keaton is stellar and uh, literally i think everybody else in the cast kind of stepped up and we're a hundred percent committed to the film. Oh, sure. I like Emma stone has got a bar to set for herself. Like this is the performance of her career and it's going to be difficult for her to top it. And, and that's just it. Everybody in the film was so good. And like Pat said, visually it's, it's amazing. And I just kind of kept kind of going between, wow, this is really good in these, the storytelling and the acting to, wow, what the hell, how did they just pull that off with the cinematography? Mm-hmm. And, it, and it was it was really interesting the whole like you know he's obviously having these little delusions of uh he's a real superhero and you know the, the moment that, that that i mean i, w- I was really kind of lost figure trying to figure out what was going on with that and then the, you know obviously when he got stuck outside with his robe in the door and i was like well why wouldn't you just use and i was oh <laughs> Well, and they play a little later of the tiger with whether or not he's actually got these powers because 
I mean, it could just be a coincidence that uh, he wanted this guy to get taken out and a light falls on his fucking head. Or maybe it's not. And I like that they don't uh, like tell you one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Right. But it becomes fairly obvious by the end of the movie, you know, that, you know, I mean, they did a good job of like, you know, the, the scene where he's in his dressing room, just, you know, you know, uh, throwing things across the room. And then as soon as the door is open, you, know, you can see he's just physically picking things up and throwing them, you know, like in his head. He's I, I, I think by the end of the movie, you definitely you know, know that it's all in his head because nothing ever happens when anybody else is around for one. And as soon as you can see what's going on through somebody else's point of view, you see that it's not anything supernatural going on. There was a 20-minute debate on this particular point in a film class I took, so I don't want to get too deep down this particular <laughs> rabbit hole. Right. It's it's almost got the um, Inception type of ending going on there. Oh, sure, yeah. When, uh, like, what really happened in the last shot? There's There's a couple of different interpretations. I mean, the easiest one is he committed suicide. Is that the only one? Not at all. If if that was the case, why was she laughing and why did he laugh at the end? And why would she be looking to the sky? Like if if he had committed suicide, she'd see him down on the floor. Right. Right. So, yeah, they're they're playing a very, I I think the ambiguity of it is important to the story they're telling. I don't think it's all that ambiguous, though. I thought it was fairly obvious they were trying to, you know, show that possibly now he, he, he finally has paid the ultimate price or whatever. And he, now he really is what he always wanted to be. Kind of that's, kind of how it felt to me well and if if you want to talk the the movie is dealing with issues of relevance i think this movie proved that michael keaton is still very relevant i don't think he's ever been irrelevant no i don't think so either but i, I mean i think he's been under the radar yes yeah because like if you look at past uh, as much as i love jackie brown you look at past batman returns and multiplicity like there's a big dip in his visibility as an actor uh, basically until the other guys in this and in the other guys, he's kind of a minor character. Yeah. And he's kind of, well, he's still kind of a minor character, but he's still Michael Keaton. You know, he's right. still, he's still playing you know, the put upon guy. He's always going to be able to find work, but he's never going to be a $20 million man. Yeah. How awesome is it also that you bookend Birdman with him going from being Batman to being the vulture? Oh, <sighs> Right? Yeah. Is that who he is in Spider-Man? Oh my yeah. God! Yeah, and he is. Well, okay. We're, we're not there yet. Hold on. Not yeah. there yet. So, but it, it was relevant to yes the conversation. Oh yeah, definitely relevant to the conversation. One thing I will say is, if you're going to watch Birdman, do not watch Birdman on your phone while you're on your commute to work. <laughs> no, that is not. Yeah. I mean, uh, and then again, you make that again. You're just another middle-aged guy crying on the train. You know, so fine. Um, <laughs> You need to commit the two hours and watch it on a on a regular TV and, and start to finish. And part of the reason I love this movie so much, it may be because I saw it originally in a film class where we saw it uh, a third at a time and had exhaustive, really, really good intellectual discussion about what was going on and what it all meant mm-hmm. as we were watching the film. <laughs> I knew... Uh... I knew Mike was going to be a big problem when the first time he sits down with him to go over the script, he like within, within 30 seconds of going, he's already trying to take over the directoral duties. Yeah. I was oh. like, well, this isn't going to go well. <laughs> yeah. I've worked with that guy before. <laughs> yep. You're a jackass. <laughs> <laughs> well, sure. But he was invited onto the project and it's like, we wanted this guy. This guy's going to save the whole production. Yeah. But at what cost? Right. It's like, we can't get rid of him now. 
Mm-hmm. And Ugh. then he goes and bones his daughter. Yep. Yeah. I had such so, hopes that it wasn't going to happen at the first when he turned it on the first time, but I'm like, please don't be that kind of scumbag. And you are. So minions. Yeah, there's a twist. Walter Nelson. I plays. Oh, sorry. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, you say. I was going to say. I know. I've seen this, but I have no recollection of who Walter Nel- who his character is. He plays the dad. You know, there's the the villains that are going to the convention. He's the dad. Oh. In the car okay. With the driving gloves and the sweater and. Yeah. I wish I had never seen this, and I want my hour and a half back. It only. I only found one part of it enjoyable. Um that I actually laughed and I was like, that's really good. But the rest of it, I was like, huh, they need Gru. Otherwise it doesn't work. Well, right. Minions are great. If they are like the seasoning in another movie, mm-hmm. you, you can't take the, the funny little wacky off characters and make a whole movie. I love R2D2. I don't want to see R2D2 the movie. You don't, you don't want to see the Oompa Loompa movie, right? You speak for yourself, man. <laughs> you really don't. <laughs> Dude, I'm going to start shooting that in the fall. Well, I'm not going to see it. <laughs> Damn it. All right. So after Minions, he does Spotlight, Walter Robbie Robinson. Uh, another, I want to say it's award-winning theater, award-winning movie. Uh, a biographical drama based on the Boston Globe Spotlight team, the old, con- oldest continuously operating newspaper investigative journalist unit in the United States. Yep. There's they um, it's based on a, a a true story where they uncover the the child molestation cover up by the Catholic Church, mm. and I know that um, Karen was talking about how much she enjoyed that versus um, Birdman. It's good, but I found myself kind of waning during the the course of the film. And I like dramas, but I don't know. It kind of lost me a little bit. It's got a fantastic cast. I want to see it, even though it looks like Oscar bait, the movie. That's pretty much how it felt. I mean, when you've got Mark Ruffalo, Michael Keaton, Rachel McAdams, Leif Schreiber, Stanley Tucci. I mean, it's got a fantastic cast, but it just kind of loses itself somewhere in there. But I think it's on Netflix streaming if you want to see it. Okay. So uh, after that, the founder where he plays Ray Kroc, the founder of McDonald's. This movie, I have I own it. I've seen it a few times now. Um, Nick Offerman is in it. And it's fantastic. It's it's a great movie. And it's about a guy that is not the hero. <laughs> in no way, shape, or form. It I had starts, a chance to see this movie and I for this week, and I didn't get around to it, unfortunately. Well, yeah. it starts off making him out to be kind of the good guy. And by the end, Ray Kroc was kind of a son of a bitch. And um, they don't. I'm surprised when McDonald's let him make the movie because it really kind of puts a negative light on that person. I don't and think McDonald's cares. <laughs> it's, it's really good. I highly, highly recommend it. I can see the man like, yeah, he's an asshole. We know. Go ahead. What are you going to do? We're McDonald's. <laughs> right. <laughs> Pretty much. People that eat our burgers don't watch movies like this. <laughs> I was watching, thinking it. They're watching Minions for the 12th. I know, right? <laughs> All right, so then 2017, had to talk about this. Spider-Man Homecoming plays Adrian Toomes, the Vulture. Uh, You know, his performance here, this is a character that is hard to do well, and I love the spin they had on it. His motivations are solid. His performance is alternately, like, chilling and awesome. Like, he just nailed this, and... uh, He's a great counterpoint to the best Spider-Man we've ever had. 
he honestly, I think, is probably one of the best Spider-Man villains I've seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, his, like you said, his motivation for what he does is rooted in trying to do the right thing, um, and it just goes haywire. Uh, this is post-Avengers number one, so it's like with the alien junk all over the place type of thing. And I do have to say, his outfit is so badass. Yes. Um, the, the, yeah. the design? Yeah, just the whole design of it with the flight jacket, with the fur collar and the wings that extend out behind him and all that. I mean, when I'd heard that he was... The thing is, when I heard he was playing the Vulture, I think bald guy in a green leotard with a fur collar you know flying around yeah, yeah flying around i was just like please don't do that you know that was directly not what i wanted to see in this and they not only did a whole 180 on it but they ran that down the street and made the vulture into what was a initially kind of a lame uh sinister sticks six member into you know a a, a a villain that actually can hold his own against Spider-Man. Yeah, I mean, he's sympathetic, but at the same time, it's like, we got to see this guy lose. Like, yeah. I get why he got here. I, I can not disagree with necessarily any of his individual decisions that got him to where he is, but he's got to go down. Well, it's almost like he he made a conscious choice due to... Um, <laughs> due to... A situation <laughs> that... Due to a situation that he, um, <laughs> he didn't really, he wasn't left with much choice with, with the way yeah. he was being treated. And one decision led to another, led to another, led to another, to where all of a sudden he's the bad guy. And yeah. Yeah. he just, I mean, talk about nailing a role. I can't wait to see him in the sequel. And he was amazing. <laughs> Spider-Man. Yeah. Just Pat, you need to see it. It, you, you well, I really plan to, which is you know one of those that I haven't been to, didn't go to the theater to see. So yeah, I I regret not going to see it at the theater because you know I heard you know it was kind of meh about it. But if I had known that Keaton was that good as the Vulture, it's I think you'd dig his character. Yeah, like, I liked Tom Holland so much mm-hmm. in Civil War that I was a hundred percent on board. And then when I saw Michael Keaton, I was just like, yeah, this is on its own two legs and stands up real tall against the other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Phenomenal. So, all right. So American assassin, the most current film available in the Michael Keaton catalog, which I saw just a couple hours ago. I watched the rest of it. The last half of it last night. So tell me, is this something (laughs) I should try to see? Um, don't pay for a rental on it. It's okay. Okay. It, It, the, the first scene, literally made me go oh my god and it freaked me out but the rest of it i was like huh i don't really care about the assassin the main character i liked michael keaton's character but by the end of it i was like okay that just happened yeah i mean he's great in it and there are some moments that are good uh the performances are pretty good but like just the script is paint by the numbers (laughs) action movie of the last 10 years. Like it could have been any number of mad libs spit out by a computer. Mm. It's it's like Jason Bourne for teenagers. Yeah. It's got a little bit of the like Rome is burning kind of like uh, American hard on for getting terrorists, but there's a little bit of a twist on it, but not enough of a twist to make it genuinely interesting. Yeah. They could have done more with it. And I didn't, I just did not care for the lead actor. I don't know oh. why I just did not. 
the kid. Okay. Yeah. There's, there's just a lot of like, uh, there are a few twists, but along the way for every interest, semi-interesting twist you get, there's two reliance on already overused tropes in the genre. Like, yeah, I, I wish I'd just streamed this one illegally instead of paying for a rental. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's, it's okay. Keaton does a great job though. Regardless. I'll, have to, I'll dig it up. My library's pretty good. So coming up, Dumbo. So Michael Keaton plays V.A. Vandermeer, a ruthless and enigmatic entrepreneur who acquires a circus to exploit the title elephant. Which Which makes sense. Live action or animated? And I'm kind of all about us not having a whole lot to say about this because this sounds like a future show. Yeah. Well, is is it live action or animated? Yeah, it's live action. Live action. Disney conversion project they're doing. Yeah, that's their shtick now. It's yeah. like, let's remake all of our really old movies as modern live actions. Which should be kind of strange, because it's directed by Tim Burton. Huh. Yeah. I like the idea of Keaton in that role, but we shall see. I saw an image of Dumbo. They they released an image of what he's going to look like, and uh, so we'll see. Yeah. I'm not anti-Tim Burton, but hearing that he's uh, involved with it le- makes me a little less excited. Well, I'm not sure. I... I don't know. I don't. Tim Burton never really seems like a remake kind of guy, you know. Oh, you saw what happened with Dark Shadows or the Lone Ranger. Yeah, that's right. He didn't See? do the Lone Ranger, did he? He didn't. I thought that was Tim Burton. I I thought it was too. I think it was, but I'm not a hundred percent. I'm looking it up right now, probably because Johnny Depp was in it. Uh, no, it was Gore Verbinski who did uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, uh, okay. Fair enough. Okay. No, I, I was thinking of the Lone Ranger. He did Tim Burton did the Lone Ranger, right? No, no Gore Verbinski did. Oh, he did that too. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I thought he he had, but <clears throat> all right. Stand corrected. So there we go. There's our rehash on Michael Keaton. I've realized that I've got a lot of Keaton-esque type stuff I need to uh, to catch up on. So <laughs> yeah. overall, um, what's your guys' opinion on him? Oh, I've I mean, been a fan since I was. Show, you know? Yeah, I mean, uh, I've been a fan since I was a kid. He's he's one of my probably my top ten favorite actors. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of where I was. Like, I, he'll never be a top ten favorite actor for me, but I like his stuff. Yeah, I, I, like you said earlier, I don't like seek out a movie because he's in it. But you know, if I see him in in the credits, like you know, when they're when the movie's opening, I'm like, oh, all right, cool. Yeah, yeah, that's about where I am. I'm I'm a little bit further along the line than Joel. I mean, than uh, Josh and Patrick are, but I'm not as far as Joel. I won't I won't say he's in my top ten. I mean, he's definitely in my top 20. I just don't, you know, like I said, I, I enjoy his stuff. I think his stuff is great. I mean, I, there, I will go out of my way to see a movie if it's got him in it. And I will be, be happy if he turns up in a movie that I didn't expect him in, too. So, hmm. I mean, All I right. dig his stuff. So, Joel, so, yeah. next week. If, uh, if you want to oh. let us know uh, your thoughts on Michael Keaton or argue with us about Birdman or... Whatever, uh, insist the Patrick C. Spider Man homecoming. Uh, you can do <laughs> or that. Or even calling. give us a new topic, even. You, know? you can call us at 708 now wrap. That's 708 669 9727. Yep. And uh, our older stuff, like I said before, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe, Podverse FM, NoonFM.com. And, you know, take some time. Give us a rating. Let us an email. Like, outside of the, you know, go on there. Let us know. Give us ideas. Yell at Shoot Pat. Give us a tweet. Yeah, tweet us something. Get us on a, get us on the Twitter or something. Um. Yeah. So, Joel, what are we doing next week? <laughs> We're gonna talk about Ducktales. Woo! So, and this should be interesting because I think we're kind of spread across on this one also, and going from fans to I've never seen it, 
which should be kind of interesting because I want to see what uh, the take on the old and new stuff is from one of us. Mm. Guess who that could be? Woo! <laughs> All right, so thanks for listening, and uh, we'll be back next week. Woo! Pulp action, Dark Man, the Phantom, the so Shadow. Which, so which Shadow is, is better, the Dark Darkwing Duck or Alec Baldwin? Dark Darkwing Duck. Duck. <laughs>